What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Surf and Sales podcast. I am one of your two co-hosts. I'm Scott Lease, co-founder of the Surf and Sales Summit, here with my buddy and co-founder, Richard Harris, who's a little bit under the weather, but he's going to try to power through. How you doing, Richard? I'm doing all right. Uh, may have my second bout of COVID, which always seems to hit me in May. So we may have to move Surf and Sales next year from May to June or April. Yeah, it's really sabotaging our international travel plans. I need you it to is. stop this. I know. Uh, I break know. the pattern. We need a pattern interrupt on Richard's well-being. There we go. There we're, we go. Uh, we're here with a, a good friend and uh, up-and-coming sales leader, seller, creator, entrepreneur, all of the above. Uh, his name's Anthony Natoli. He runs the BDR team at QA Wolf. And we're going to get into some good topics with him today. But first, Richard has a special message from our wonderful sponsors over at HubSpot. Tell them what they've won, Richard. Sure. So I have a question for both of you. You can both answer. What do Reese Witherspoon, Derek Jeter, Kim Scott, Brian Halligan, and Sam Jacobs and Neil Patel all have in common? Anybody know? All of them have a birthday on May 30th. No, that's not it. Anthony? That's a good guess, though. Anthony, what's your guess? I have no idea. I was thinking of something with Boston, with Derek Jeter, Red Sox, HubSpot, and Massachusetts, but I have no idea. Well, you're kind of close. It is Boston-related. What it is is these are all featured speakers at HubSpot's Inbound. That's coming up in September, September 5th through the 8th. So apparently our friend Sam Jacobs, Scott, is now flying in rarefied air with, with Mr. Jeter. So we might need to try and hitch a, rain, hitch a ride on that, on that plane. But um, I want to talk about HubSpot inbound. Yes, a ton of other great speakers are going to be there. Uh, this is a place you can go and learn from the industry experts um, with great walkaway and practical tips that will help tackle your challenges um, and the speakers are going to be great. It's going to be great instructive training and networking events. Um, it's obviously going to be entertaining and educational, which I think is always really fun. And there's a ton of festival style stages, although I haven't seen the band list, Scott. So what was the name of your college band, Scott? Yeah, we didn't, get, we didn't make it. I didn't get the, uh, the invite to perform. What was the name of the band? I don't care if you No, I don't it. want to name the name of the band because then a hundred thousand people are going to go chat GPT and Google search it. And I just don't want to relive, relive that part of my uh, life for the moment. But what if inbound HubSpot inbound says, Scott, we want you to show up and play on one of the stages. Come on. September 5th through 8th. You'd be in. I'll, improv I'll improvise something new. The solo okay. artist. Okay. That'll be it. It'll be, it'll, it'll absolutely be Scott Lease and the disciples of sales. That's his new band name. So uh, there is VIP uh, general admission passes. So please check out HubSpot inbound. We absolutely appreciate HubSpot for supporting us in the sales community and hope everybody can make it out to the inbound session in Boston, uh, September 5th through 8th. All right, let's get on with the rest of the show. Mr. Lease, take it away. All right, Anthony, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. I can't believe this is your first time with us actually. Yeah. Um, it's a privilege to be here. Um, I started my LinkedIn journey posting and creating a year and a half ago, and you, you two gentlemen were definitely 
some of the the guys and and gals I I, I looked up to uh, of the the folks that I you know wanted to be like, and so it's a it's a full cir- circle moment for me uh, to be here. But yeah, I mean. Um, I don't know if it's it's because I'm a Jets fan, but it took a it took a long time to get here. But I'm excited yep. to uh, be sharing the space today with you guys. Well, we I had to wait for the Jets to become somewhat relevant again. Is really what it was. Fair enough. <laughs> Are they relevant? Yeah, they're 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 relevant. They 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 made some uh, they made some news, but we don't we don't want to talk about that though. You know, I can't believe it's only been a year and a half since you started creating. Um, and kind of this LinkedIn journey that, that you're talking about, what was the thing that finally pushed you over the edge to get started? Yeah, I think there's a few things, you know, I, I've been uh, sitting on the sidelines for a long time on LinkedIn, uh, learning a lot and seeing a ton of folks like, like you two have a ton of success on LinkedIn. And I started to see some of my peers post on LinkedIn and, um, you know, I'm a, a very competitive person. So I thought to myself, uh, you know, why not me? You know, I, I've had success in my career. Um, I've definitely been through adversity personally. Like, I definitely think this could be an outlet for me to, uh, you know, get my name out there and help other people. Um, and so, you know, I think um, what really got me over the hump was, you know, getting through what I got through in my personal life the last three and a half years. I, it felt uh, almost a, a duty to, to me to post on LinkedIn, share my story to help other people. And that naturally parlayed, no pun intended with my, my history of, uh, you know, sharing best practices of what what's worked for me from like a sales perspective, prospecting, but also the mental health and the mindset side of things. Um, and, you know, it was a, re- it's, it's become a really amazing outlet for me to show up authentically as myself and, and help other people. And I think uh, the idea of doing that was really what just got me to start taking action and get myself on the field and, and off the sidelines. When you're, when you're kind of lurking or, or observing and then you make the pivot to participating, engaging, creating, when you're, when you're in that observation period, how are you sussing out who's real, who's fake, who's actually helpful, helpful, who positions themselves as helpful, but doesn't deliver. Cause I, I get asked that question all the time. Like, how do I tell, you know, what's real and what's not, how did you think about that? And, and how did you kind of educate yourself or are still educating yourself potentially? Yeah, for sure. I think the last year and a half, everyone and their mother is posting on, it feels like posting on LinkedIn and it could get very, uh, crowded of the advice that's given. And so it's really important to have, you know, uh, a a filter of what you see and who you follow and why. And so for me, when I was in that lurking phase, I really thought about using LinkedIn as a way to gain knowledge from people that I really wanted to be like in two to three to five years. Um, So did they have a history in their role or are they currently doing things that I ultimately wanted to do uh, with my career, whether it was start a podcast or start a newsletter or start doing coaching or um, start trying to help other people with like sales training. And so I found those people that had a good track record and actually like put in the work and the time and um, had the credentials to back up what they were saying. 
I think it becomes very clear um, as you dig into certain people's content, if they have the actual chops or not, uh, and, and can back up what they're preaching, or if it's kind of just fluff. And so I naturally gravitated to people that I envisioned um, me wanting to be like in the future, and then started engaging naturally via the comments and uh, trying to like just build relationships, not asking for anything. Um, and then, you know, it, it really ended up working out nicely of being able to meet amazing people that I once kind of looked up to um, and built those relationships. But yeah, you have to have that mental spam filter and, and look at who's who's really got the chops and the the experience to back up what they're what they're talking about. Because um, anyone could say they did X, Y, and Z, but only a certain amount of people have actually walked the walk. Got it. All right. So I got, I got a question. What was the moment? that you went from voyeur to exhibitionist on LinkedIn? Do you remember your first post? Yeah, it was November, 2021. I was working at Outreach at the time. And uh, I remember my first post being, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this for 30 days and see what happens. And my main goal was that, uh, it may sound corny, but I truly felt this uh, and, if I could help one person every time I posted, then it was a win. And that, that ended up, go ahead. No, go ahead. That ended up. That ended up um, compounding over time of helping one person. People starting to slide into my DMs of, hey, your story really resonated. Or, hey, your prospecting tips, like, can, can we, can I pick your brain, right? And then 10 people started asked to pick my brain. And then I started charging for time. And because I couldn't prioritize everyone asking for time. So it ended up starting with the main goal of trying to help others uh, into, uh, by doing that, I was very authentic in what I posted. And I think people naturally gravitated to that. So I think as soon as I started getting the- Yeah, what was the moment though? What was the moment that made you go, okay, now I'm ready? Because I think that's the part that people freak out about, right? What was that moment for you? Yeah, the moment the moment that I I felt ready was um, I I let go of my self limiting beliefs and you know for for a very long time I didn't think that I had anything to add or that people would care um, and so for me um, I had I had some friends that I knew at outreach that were posting uh, and they basically just pushed me to do it they said hey try it for thirty days and if it doesn't if it doesn't work, then you didn't really lose much. You'd be in the same spot as you were. And so for me, that really, that moment of realizing, hey, maybe I do have something to share um, and maybe I can add value to people. Um, I think that's what got me over the hump to take action. And then I remember there was one specific post uh, that made me have the aha moment. I think I got like 600 likes and it was a post about just like what was working for me prospecting as an AE. And I was like, oh, damn, like <laughs> this is real. Like I could actually make an impact here. And I, that was probably like two weeks into me posting. Um, and I remember everyone on my team was like, oh my God, like you're, you know, blowing up. And I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this and see what happens and where it takes so, me. So this is, which is, cause I want to come back. I want to come back to the monetizing thing. I know Scott does too. Um, on average, What's your biggest post? Like how many views? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. Two, like close to 250K. I've had a few like hundred, I've had a few six, 
six figure viewed posts. Good. And and what's funny is my best posts on LinkedIn are the ones that I almost don't post because I'm afraid of what people are going to think. Totally agree. I have a question. So I posted something this morning. How many views do you think I had today? 3,000 views, 5,000 views. 300. <laughs> 300. How's that yes. possible? No, I know. Like, I'm telling you, like, this is the reason I'm asking you. You're in, you're, you're, uh, you're in like some bizarre air, LinkedIn jail. You've angered the algorithmic gods. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> I don't know what I do, but this is standard for me. This is why I ask, because I, I it frustrates me to know in that I've been posting for years and people seem to know me, but then I have these horrible things and experiences. So, Well, the good news is you have people like Anthony who looked up to you and, and wanted to be like Richard one day. Right. But now, you know, the student has become the master. That's Scott, that's how often does that happen to me? Is that the story of my life? Uh, I don't know. It's, there, there's a lot of chapters. I don't know if it's the, the fundamental theme, but there's a lot of chapters with it. That's for sure. Hey, um, <clears throat> I want to talk to you a little bit about this monetization part that you were talking about, because one could argue that you are early in your journey to have already tried to um, start building your own thing, side hustle, whatever you want to call it, and monetize your expertise. How, how do you respond to people who try to frame uh, you know, that part of the argument, that part of the, the conversation? Yeah. Uh, bl bluntly, my initial reaction is like, we're all going to die one day. So who really cares? Uh, <laughs> that's Scott Lease. Listen, listen, I, I think more people should um, focus on, you know, what, what they're, and Scott, you even said this to me, like uh, uh, over text, it's like, who cares about what other people are saying? Like, do your thing. Um, yeah. You're going to learn along the way. Who cares what other people think? So that's like my uh, Jersey uh, uh, temper temper type response, but my grounded response is like, I get it. I get why people would say that. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'd rather start now, um, and learn than wait, you know, five years to like when society says I should be ready. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you wait for the perfect time for anything, like you're going to be waiting a very long time. Um, and so for me, how I viewed the monetization strategy was, hey, are there skills and things that I've been through that I feel like I can actually help people with? And for me, those things were, you know, helping people with mindset and breaking through barriers and then prospecting. Um, and I helped with those two things. Um, and I felt confident enough to charge for my time for it. But Notice how I'm not trying to sell a course on like enterprise strategic sales or learning how to write code, right? Like I'm staying in my lane where I think I could help and add value. And I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. Um, and I think everyone has valuable skills that they should uh, be able to get paid for. Um, and a lot of people don't know, but for the first six months, like I was just taking calls with people uh, and helping them so I could get feedback on like, hey, is this actually helpful to others. And then once I realized it was helpful and more people wanted help that I could handle, that's when I started to figure out, hey, maybe I should be charging for my time. Um, and yeah, so that that would be my 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 reaction to people yeah. say that you should wait, you're too young or you're not experienced enough. It's like, yeah, but if you can help people that are maybe only two or three years behind you, 
Um, that's how I viewed it. I wanted to help the younger version of Anthony that didn't have the the things and resources he needed um, at, a, at a certain time. Well, you, I think you're doing a good job of of helping people, not just people who are a stage or two behind you, but um, you've been very open and forthright about some of your struggles. Um, I'll let you get into it here for people who don't, who don't know, but some of your struggles, challenges, mental health issues, things like this. Um, and that authenticity that we've kind of been dancing around and that vulnerability, I think just reading those stories and hearing from other people who are going through it or who have come out the other side of it, those things are helpful all the time, regardless, I think, of wherever you are in your your career and in, in your journey. So for people who don't know, can you share a little bit about um, where some of this stuff is coming from when you talk about your struggles? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, you know, growing up, I was always a class clown and the uh, you know, my mom always tells a story when she would go to parent te- teacher conference and I usually go like room to room, talk to every teacher. But when she walked in, it was a room for all the, all of the teachers. And uh, they all wanted to talk to my mom about me and how I was, you know, the class clown and spoke back and got sent to the principal's office and really stemmed from, you know, my parents were divorced at a very young age. I don't have a relationship with my, my biological dad. And um, as a result of not really having that father figure at a young age, I never felt like I was good enough. Um, you know, uh, and I didn't realize that growing up until, you know, a few years ago, but a lot of my behaviors stemmed from deep insecurities, um, deep uh, rooted issues of feeling like I wasn't good enough. And I was constantly chasing external sources throughout my life to, to make me happy. And so, um, you know, I'll skip all the, all the intricate, intricate details, get to the big picture, but basically, uh, in November of 2019, um, I, I hit a rock bottom where um, my mom had caught me gambling again. I had issues with this my entire life, um, but it was bigger than just the gambling, right? I was uh, constantly lying. I was partying every weekend. I was 60 pounds overweight. I was uh, in a really bad spot mentally. I was in six figures of, of bad debt. Um, I had a sub 500 credit score at the age of 26. and um, my mom basically gave me this ultimatum of like, Hey, if you don't finally get help this time and like truly like going into gamblers anonymous and seeking out like true therapy and help, like you're not allowed back in the family. Um, and anyone that knows me, like my mom is my, my rock, my best friend. And so you can imagine hearing that in the kitchen, 7am right after Thanksgiving. Um, my flight wasn't until nine, but basically kicked me out of the house and I had to go to the airport, sit there all day. And, uh, at that moment, I had I had two choices. It was, hey, I can continue down this this path and throw myself a continue to throw myself this this pity party, and um, who knows if I'd even be here right now. Those thoughts definitely crossed my mind at the time. It's like, what you know, I can't do this. I have this this mountain of that I have to climb to get out of this this hole. It feels like Mount Everest. Or the other option was, what if I finally gave myself a real chance? And so. You know, December first, twenty nineteen, my last ever uh, date of gambling, and I've been clean from that since. Um, and you know, I have a great relationship with my family. Uh, my stepdad, who basically raised me, great relationship with him, and repaired a lot of the 
made amends to a lot of people. I lost a lot of weight, but I still deal with that. Um, I've been going to therapy for the last four years. And so for me, where this authenticity stems from is the perspective perspective that I've gained from going through all that I did and wanting to be able to help other people. Um, because when you come out the other side of breaking through adversity, you learn a ton. Like I'm a completely different person. Um, when I look back on who I was back, you know, three, only three and a half years ago. Um, and I feel like I now have purpose. Um, and my purpose is to like really help other people that might be struggling. Um, you know, and so like, when I think about like helping people with sales and prospecting, that's all well and great, but the best messages that I get from people are when they tell me about, they were struggling with addiction or, uh, you know, we're thinking about going to therapy and they finally went like, to me, that's like warms my heart, gives me a lot of joy and a lot of energy. And I, I truly think that, um, I went through everything I did for a reason. Um, and I got through it for a reason. And for whatever reason that day, I, I gave myself a chance. Um, and I continue to give myself a chance every single day. It took it one day at a time until, you know, I'm, I'm at where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really scary for, for a long period of time really, really scary at such a young age. Yeah, that that's crazy. And, and congratulations to you. Like, you know, kudos to you, kudos to your mom and your stepdad to, you know, give you the tough love and then support you when you took those steps. Um, that, that's just, you know, everybody's journey is different. And, um, and it's, it's always nice to hear someone else being successful and then, and then getting to the place where they can share their journey in the hope of helping others. So well done, Anthony. Well done. Yeah. What, um, so we, I don't know. So how do you get out of six-figure debt? Yeah, well, I want to add one more thing too. Um, I want to I want to just make it clear that I don't have it all figured out. Like I'm I'm dealing sure. I'm I'm dealing with um, uh, compulsive eating uh, disorder right now that I'm seeking out <clears throat> therapy for and trying to change. And so I I just want to say for everyone that's listening. Um, you know, the problems never go away, but your relationship and the ability to deal with it does improve. And I think that's the key. Um, and so to answer your question about how do you get out of uh, six figures of debt? Um, for me, I had to basically hand over the keys to like my money to someone else and realize that, hey, I probably shouldn't be trying to do this all on my own. Right. So I needed to come up with a plan of um, where my, my highest interest uh, debts were. And, and attack those first and come up with an actual budget. And I owed people that you probably don't want to owe money to for a long time. And so I paid the, those people off. And, um, you know, luckily I was doing well in sales, but all of my commissions were going to paying down this debt. Um, and, you know, for me, uh, I luckily got to move home during COVID. I was living in San Francisco prior to that and I was paying probably way too much money for rent. And I got to move home uh, back to the East Coast and move in with my parents for a year. Uh, and that allowed me to uh, pay down a ton of ton of debt. The reality is I probably should have moved home a year earlier, but I just like wasn't ready to admit I needed help yet um, until it was a little bit too late. But so again, you know, uh, this is this is amazing. And again, you know, this is where it takes a village, right? Where it's like you had the ability to move in with a family member. Not a lot of people do, right? 
you, you yeah. keyed in on one thing. I was, you had to hand over the keys. So does that mean you gave someone else control of your checking account and you got a stipend or allowance and that's how it worked? Like, that's what I, that's what I interpreted. I'm just curious, like, so the, I want people to understand, like, you know, whether it's food or money or other things, like, this is how you seek support in a way yeah. that hopefully not shameful. Um, but is that yeah. what it yeah. So essentially, um, and this was the nice part about joining Gamblers Anonymous, they basically have like a, a financial meeting with you where like you lay it out all on the table. And, and it's funny that, you know, the, uh, the, the mind of an addict is even in those meetings where you're finally ready to get help. Some people will hide certain debts because they're not like fully ready to admit everything. But I laid it all out. I was like, here are all my debts. And they basically like, and you don't, you don't have to be a part of a, a group to do this. You can work with, uh, you know, there's like credit resources out there that'll help you do this. But I, I listed out all my um, all my debts, everything I owed, and I came up with a plan and basically budgeted with them. And it was required every month. You know, my my dad was connected to my account and my mom that every month the money would come out to pay off the the credit cards, the personal loans. Um, I was in a really bad spot, but luckily I was, you know, I had a good job and I was doing well where I could afford to do that. Um, but I know, I know plenty of people that um, didn't have the luxury of having a, a sales job that still put a plan in place and you pay off a little bit of money every month and it, it compounds over time, but it takes time. So I think the first thing is like, accept that it's going to take time. It's going to be a journey and it's going to be a pain and you're going to have to sacrifice not doing the things that probably got you there in the first place. You're not going to be able to buy the fancy clothes or go out to the fancy dinners. Like you have to sacrifice. Um, but if you want to get out of the situation, it's worth it, you know? Um, so yeah, handing over the keys, meaning like realizing I didn't have to figure it out all on my own, got the help I needed. And then basically automated the payments out of my bank account every month. Um, and it took me like two years. It didn't take me like, you know, a short amount of time. Like I just got, in the positive, probably a year ago, and it had been, it's been three and a half years since I gambled. So it took me a long time. Congratulations, man! That is no that is no easy feat. So congratulations for for taking control uh, of that part and, and working on it. Um, so I need to I need to do a little pause here for a mid show break for our good friend. I know Scott's got some more questions. Scott, do you know who we're who we're talking about this this month for the month of June? remember yes yes i do yes i do we're talking about john barrows i believe you are and we're talking about john barrows and his make it happen monday podcast although uh, i know that's a good name for his podcast but i think it should just be make it happen because it doesn't just happen on mondays but john you can listen to this and you know give me a salute if you want but uh please check out john barrows if you don't know john barrows i'd be shocked but please check him out for make it happen mondays he's part of the hubspot podcast network um He's had a lot of brilliant people on his show over the years, myself included, uh, Scott Least included. Uh, I don't know, Anthony, we should get you on there, but um, he's had uh, another good friend of ours, Dr. Howard Doer, uh, who wrote The Economy, Tech, and Education Triple Threat. Um, he's a sales coach and director of Center for Professional Sales at the University of Texas, Dallas, um, which is really interesting because many years ago, Scott and I were like, how come nobody teaches this? And we found out this guy, Dr. Doer, teaches sales. You can actually get a degree in sales. So he's been on um, John's podcast and um, 
his latest episode, he explains why there's plenty of opportunity in sales for those who reach out and take it. Um, he believes that the rising interest rates, technology, and ineffective education have created a problem in sales profession, which I think we all agree. Um, I'm less concerned about the interest rate. I think it's more about the ineffective education. But please check out John Barrow's Only HubSpot Podcast Network and Make It Happen Mondays. So, Anthony, we'll try to get you on there, too. You should you should definitely get on the that show. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, speaking of people that I was looking up to, I remember uh, JB and Morgan trained my uh, SDR team when I was the first time SDR. And I was like, those are the people I want to be like, you know? Yep. Um, so that's, that'd be cool. Yep. That is, th- those are the people I like to be like too. So, all right, Scott, what's, you had another question. I know. Yeah. I have, I have a question. And, and as somebody who's gone through some stuff of my own, um, I've been asked this question once before only. And, and I had to really think about it. So, Take your, take your time and think about it. But the, the question is, do you think that having an addictive aspect to your personality is a help or a hindrance to being a great seller? Yeah. I your, think- respo- your response so far is exactly what mine was, which was like, <laughs> oh man, I got to think about this for a second. Yeah. I think it, it, it can be both. Um, so I let's think- talk, Let's talk about the parts of yeah. that might be helpful first. Yeah, for sure. If you can um, become addicted to the effort and the inputs that you put in to your process, then that can be super helpful, right? When you're solely focused on the controllable inputs that- you know, are going to help you and you're addicted to that process and you're addicted to the idea of making progress and getting better and learning. Um, I think the way that you cultivate that addiction, addictive type of behavior is what ultimately is going to dictate how that shows up for you. But if you're someone that's like addicted to the idea of the outcome and the idea of just making all this money and that's all that your mind and energy is expended upon, then you're going to find yourself continuing to chase, continuing to chase, continuing to chase. And so for me, you know, I was the, the latter for like most of my life. I was addicted to uh, all the wrong things when it came to sales. Like all I cared about was commission checks, you know, people giving me thumbs up and getting the uh, external high fives. Um, And I was less concerned about like me progressing as a seller and um, making progress and really caring about solving problems. Um, And so, yeah, I think it can, it can be helpful and definitely hurtful in in those, in those aspects. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, on that, Richard? Do you have an opinion? I'm sitting here and I just, yeah, I just, I just chatted this over to you. You can't be addicted to the outcomes, only the inputs. And um, that's, and I, and I say this in, in a positive way, not, not to pick on Scott. That's probably the best explanation I've heard after listening to Scott talk about being addicted to the process, addicted to the process, where uh, that, that sums it up for me in a really tactical way, but I'm a tactical guy. So, um, so I really like that. Being addicted to the outcomes is the problem, like in a big way. So, but I'm, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. So Scott, what is, what is your thought? I mean, you're the one who talked about this, you know, your book, you know, addicted to the process I means that sum it up right there. Yeah, it, it does. You can, 
one of the things that can be a gift and a curse when somebody who's uh, got a history of lying and covering up their addictions and stuff like this is you can fucking spin anything any way you want to tell yourself whatever story you need to tell to turn it into a positive uh, outcome or shine a, a good light on it. So you asked me that question and my default is just like, well, I'm going to find a way to spin this into a positive. Like I know what it's like to become obsessed with something. And when I become obsessed with something, I'm going to dive in. And like Anthony said, I'm going to work hard, whatnot. I could be addicted to the process and these inputs and they'll end up getting me the right outcome. And that's really beneficial for certain goals. If your goal is to perform well at work, if your goal is to move up in your career, if your goal is to make lots of money, it can, it can really help in, in, in all those areas. Um, I don't recommend <laughs> going down this route if you're, <laughs> if you're looking to improve your, your sales skills, but there's something to learn from all of these experiences. You know? I, think, I think it goes back to that old adage of, you know, why do we keep, you know, every sales leader I know hires bad salespeople. Why? Because salespeople are good at selling. And oftentimes sales leaders are horrible at buying, right? Like they don't know how to buy. They haven't looked at that process in the right way. Um, so it's not unusual. Um, and I think uh, it's innate in many of us to do that. We know how to spin. That's, that is the nature of our job. And then if you compound that with some other challenge like an addiction or a mental health thing or an ADHD and coping mechanisms, you know, it, it can make for some very interesting life moments. Some good, some not so good. So, um, well, most yeah. people, the thing that most people sell best is themselves. I think so. I think so. You have to, you have to sell yourself. You have an idea to start a business. You have to sell yourself. First of all, you're selling yourself in an interview. Anthony has to sell himself as a, a BDR leader every single day to not just his team that he's believable, not just his prospects, if he's reaching out to them or whatever, but also his leadership team, right? You've moved into this leadership role now, Anthony, having been an individual contributor. Are you enjoying it? Is it harder than you thought? Easier than you thought? Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying it. I think um, there's always going to be hard in whatever career endeavor that you're in. For me, I was, you know, an AE for five or so years. And, you know, the fulfillment from closing deals just wasn't, wasn't there for me anymore. And I, again, wanted something to do something bigger and have it a bigger impact. And I, I tried to figure out um, what was the career move for me? It definitely wasn't going on my own yet. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Um, but I knew that I could still have an impact on others. And the, and I, I am really good at prospecting and I have those skills and I felt that I could have an impact in that way. Um, so I am enjoying it, but it's, it's hard as shit. It's, it's really hard. It's, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It's, uh, it's harder than what I expected because there's so many, um, curveballs and things move at a fast pace, especially being at a startup. I'm doing director VP level type stuff where I'm reporting for the board and uh, working cross-functionally. So it's hard, but to me, I'm enjoying that learning process. And I know they're extremely valuable skills that I'm, you know, 
being able to put in my tool belt for the future. That's going to help me with my bigger plan one day. Um, and, you know, if I think about like the not, if I hadn't moved into the, uh, the leadership role, the opportunity cost of doing something that was hard that I wasn't enjoying was ultimately too high. So like, yeah, it's hard, but um, I'm getting a lot of fulfillment out of it because I'm learning a ton. I'm growing as a person. It's forcing me to show up as my, you know, trying to be the best per, you know, individual I can be every day, not only to get my team to perform, but to grow as an individual. So it's, uh, it's hard to like, you, you know, no, that, no like sugarcoating it. Scott, Scott, he's, he's still got the, the new car smell of management and leadership. Here I am learning all this stuff by doing director and VP level shit, but I'm not getting paid for it. So I'm going to get that skill, right? So here's a little bit of free advice, Anthony. Document all these things you're doing because you're not going to remember them, right? It's yeah. really critical. Document the number of times you present to a board, the kinds of things you present to a board. And then when the time is right, with you know, talking about your career path within your organization, being able to walk in and say, hey, it's time for me to do this. By the way, I've done all these things. And when I look at these job descriptions, I'm already doing them. Now, finding a nicer, you wouldn't do it the way I just said it, but make sure you have that. Because that's the that's the challenge that that will happen is they'll come in, Anthony, you're doing great, you're doing great, keep doing what you're doing, and then someone's going to say we need to, to to hire someone above you, and they may, like in all fairness, at an early stage startup, they may. Make sure you understand where your value is, and at least put yourself in the ring, right? You may not get it, but this is just like Scott and I say all the time: take every interview you can for as far as you can. Because you don't get down to the seventh interview all the time. So you might as well do it and get the practice. So just some small career advice you didn't ask for, but you know, document this stuff, have it so that when it is time for you to say, hey, what's my next step here at this company, you have it. And even if they do top you off, which is very appropriate in some cases, you at least know where your skill set is. You can at least go and leverage with your potentially new boss to say, hey, just so you know, Glad you're here. I want to keep learning from you. I've done these things. What else should I keep learning? Right. Like, so just that's just some because at some point the new car smell is going to wear off. You're going to be like, fuck, why am I doing this? So, and I'm not yep. getting paid. I feel that. So I appreciate it. It starts yeah. off with moments of feeling it. <laughs> and then yes. it just becomes all around you. Uh, sometimes a change of scenery is good for that, though. Yeah. And hey, if you're going to do all this stuff, you might as well get paid for doing yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. And don't look, Scott and I both have done it enough to go, fuck them, let's leave. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We didn't even necessarily try as best we could. And we kind of learned how to like figure that piece out. So for whoever's listening, whatever, you know, yes, we always tell you to leave, tell them to fuck off, but you know, give, shoot your shot with your own company first. Right. So then you got reason. Yeah. Um, we got, we don't have a ton of time, but I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask for a 30 second answer from you. And then we're going to flip it and let you ask us a question. How are you? It's almost June 1st of 2023. How are you seeing and how are you probably better? How are you preparing your team for the AI revolution of sales? What are you doing right now today? These, as you think about this. Yeah, for me, 
Yeah, for me and my team, what we're doing right now is we're not trying to have AI write emails for us or do cold calls for us, but we're trying to use AI to optimize parts of the process where it makes sense. So thinking about you know account research to find relevant uh, information about accounts or prospects that relate to the problems that we solve. Um, and then obviously trying to automate steps within our outreach process where we can. Um, but the biggest thing for me is um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the human element still being part of how you uh, put together an email or a call. Um, and But I think there is parts of AI that help optimize um, individuals to get better at their job. I think the one scary thing to me about AI is that humans are inherently lazy as it is. And I'm afraid that if people try to lean into AI too much, they're just going to depend on it. And they're going to forget about the effort it actually takes to be successful. So I'm trying to remove that idea from my team um, and still have them realize it takes a, a bit of human effort to you know, be successful in the role. Yeah. So I just, I, this is a loaded question because I wanted to answer it myself because that's how selfish I am. But because uh, <laughs> I, I just had this conversation today with somebody and, and they, they blew my mind with it. Um, it aligns with everything you're saying. So while I'm talking, you can think about a question and ask us. Essentially, the sales role with AI is equally generative as the machine itself. Because as we ask the AI to do things, we learn from that too. So we also get smarter, which is cool. In the sales role, and this was the word they used, was we're going to have to be, for lack of a better phrase, sales prompt engineers. Meaning I need to write into the AI hey, I've got this client and I've got this persona and I want to speak to them about these pains and I want them to understand what we offer. And then this is their personality type. How do I write that message? So we as humans have to get better at the prompts we put in to get the right answers. And then we can also say, explain this in that personality's persona. Right. So you're going to, so that whole three by three, three minutes, find three facts. Well, now it's going to be three minutes typing up your prompt and then figuring it out. Now, at some point, the machines will start to do the, all of that for us. But if I'm looking for how am I going to really use it, it's aligned with exactly what you were saying. And then just that, that phrase of sales prompt engineering really stuck with me. I don't like that word engineer because I don't want to insult real engineers. <laughs> but, you know, when was the last time a salesperson didn't insult somebody else? Um, <laughs> So all, you're really, all you're really saying in all of that is if you want to get good at sales and stick around, you just have to learn to ask better questions. Which is the essence of it all, right? It's all about, which is back, Anthony, to what you talk about, I talk about, and Scott talks about, is the humanity of it. How do we bring the humanity element in there? So uh, I just thought it was a real nice piece. I wanted to, I was curious to how you thought it and you, you said it equally well. So, all right, what questions do you want to ask us before we get out of here? Yeah. Um, I got one and I'm, I'm really curious to get your perspective. Um, and to frame it up, I think, uh, being in sales, there's obviously like an idea of what success is and you got the money and promotions, but for you both, like in your careers, I'm sure you've gained perspective on like what success actually means to you and what it feels like. So like, my question is what what is something that most people get wrong with being successful in life? And like, what does that actually mean to you at this stage in your lives? 
Mm, I got a couple of answers. Um, one of them is, was my biggest challenge. I think Scott's better at this than me, but I would stick around too long. Like my first couple of jobs out of college were five years, seven years, six years, right? And these were more traditional jobs. Um, and I had to get over that fear of like oh, the job hopping thing in startup world, right? And the cool thing about if you, again, we're in sales, we know how to spin it. Well, it's like, yeah, I went to a bunch of startups. They fucking failed. They didn't fail because I was a shitty salesperson. Like the whole company fucking failed. What does that tell you? <laughs> you know, I can learn a lot. I can get better at sales because of it. But so that that to me is is one of those things. For me, um, this is a really personal thing for every individual you ask this question is, is the ego. My ego is my challenge, right? If you, if you know me, listen to the show, hear me on podcasts, my ego gets in the way a lot. And so for me, the ultimate success came when I was able to no longer have to worry about playing in the sandbox with others and building my own business. That's when I've been the happiest. I've been the happiest I've ever been in my job. Um, in the last 10 years, 11 years that I've had my company. I wasn't unhappy in my other sales roles. I had my own mental health and depression stuff, which made things unhappy about work, but that was really about me too. So, so for me, finding that spot where I'm happy and comfortable um, and not having to do what everybody else tells me um, is the right spot for me in terms of my happiness. But I, I think everybody, you know, I know plenty of people who love the big company. They want to be there. They like the stability. They like the growth. They like the inner politics. They like not having to worry about a paycheck, all those things. So those are the, that, that's my long answer. My answer, my answer would be that it lasts, that, that once you can call yourself successful, that's it. You're now successful in perpetuity. That's not the case at all. Yeah, I think you work super, super hard to get to some place of success. And then what do they say the hardest thing to do in sports is, Anthony? To repeat championships. Boom. Repeat. So great. You're a success, whatever that means. You got promoted. You made 100 grand. You made 500 grand. You made a million bucks. The hardest thing in the world is to do it again. Because you work so hard to get to the top. And then when you're at the top, what do you want to do? You want to take a break. You want to chill. You want to enjoy the experience and look around. And oftentimes when you do that, what happens? You slip up and somebody hungrier comes along and knocks you down and, and steals the title. So I, I think what people get wrong is once you, you, you've kind of made it and you're successful, that's it. Like, oh, Scott's a success. He's a success for the rest of, you know, his life or whatever. That ain't true. I have to prove that I'm a success every year, every month, every week, every day on some level. Oh, the pressure of, of that doesn't dissipate for me, at least. I, and I think if anything, it gets intense. It increases the intensity for me because... I'm, I have to fight this, this, like, I belong here. I am a success. I don't want to go back to where I was. If I fall off, I'll never be able to get back up. These kinds of things. And I don't think people, people really think about that too much or talk about it. 
Um, so that, that would, that's the thing that came to my mind when you, when you asked that question is, is people think it just continues. It doesn't, you have to work extremely hard to stay where you're at, whatever that level of success is, or go beyond that. This is why Scott freaks out when his posts on LinkedIn don't do well the next day. <laughs> Can I ask one more question? Can I ask one more question? It should be like a, a minute total. Yeah. Yeah, sure. What, one, one sentence uh, of one piece of advice that you would tell your 30-year-old self that I could walk away with that you know now that you wish you did. Hmm. Uh, I don't try to do, don't try to do everything by yourself, which we've already talked about in, in various capacities, but you can extend that to, I'm trying to learn how to be a better sales leader. Go talk to people who are sales leaders. I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. Go talk to people who are entrepreneurs. I'm trying to get my personal uh, affairs in order. Go talk to somebody to help you get your personal affairs in order. There's a, there's a lot of things that I was trying to do at 30 years old that I was completely trying to do by myself. This was like pre-social media, pre-networking and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I just didn't know what to do other than grip it and rip it, for lack of a better sports expression, right? So don't try to do everything your own. That would be my... Love it. Uh, it's so funny because I was going to say, find your Scott Lease, uh, which, which, which again is find, find that person or those people that you trust the most with your life, with everything, right? If, you know, you know, just thinking about things, if I had to trust someone with any part of my life, personal, professional, medical, whatever it, it and I haven't put this in a document, but it, you know, I'd have no problem making it Scott Lee's, right? Um, and I think that means a lot. And there, there's probably four or five friends that I have that way. So it's not finding just one, but it is, it does matter to, to find those people. And, and I, I've referred to them as your personal board of directors, right? So you've got a, you know, Scott's on my personal board of directors for a couple of things, business, partnerships, money, but also friendship. But then I have a financial personal board of directors, someone who helps me with that. I've got someone who helps me with my real estate investment stuff as my board of directors. I've got someone on my mental health board of directors. Find those people that surround, you know, to Scott's point, that that's what I would, how I, that's how I see exactly what Scott said. Love that. Sure. All right, but we appreciate you spending some time with us, man. Good luck with everything. Where's the best place for people to reach out to you? LinkedIn? LinkedIn's fantastic. Perfect. Anthony Natoli, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Surf and Sales podcast. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.